You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. I think one of the most important things that I, I've learned with dealing with athletes and dealing with myself, because it's just like one or two degrees that you like the ship moves in the wrong direction that I think we all let ourselves do. And you get three weeks down the road and you're like, how did I end up here? I don't even remember. Like the wind just kind of blew me in this direction. That was Danny Mackey. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Welcome and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. If this is your first time here, I'm an entrepreneur and co-founder of Fit Plus Love, a content development and production company, and founder of the Salop Group, brand strategy and communications company. I'm also a triathlete, runner, and yogi. This podcast brings it all together. I'm super excited to connect you with today's guest, Brooks Beast coach, Danny Mackey. But before we jump into the conversation, shout out to sponsors Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go-to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. Use our code for 20% off. Thank you, MOTM. And of course... There's a link in the show notes. Now, back to our guest. Danny Mackey has been head coach of the Brooks Beast Track Club in Seattle since 2013. During his tenure as the Brooks Beast head coach, Mackey has led multiple athletes to U.S. top five and world top 25 rankings. During today's conversation, Danny and I sync up about where his career in coaching began, how he landed his dream job at Brooks Running, and how he is coaching and motivating athletes during COVID. Danny also shares his unique training philosophy, approach, and mindset, and how his passion for jujitsu empowers him for success. Danny Mackey has done a lot of things since getting his master's degree in biomechanics and exercise physiology from Colorado State in 2006. He's taught classes at the college level, qualified for the Olympic trials marathon, worked on product teams at Nike, Adidas, Puma, and Keen Footwear, provided live race commentary for FlowTrack, and, through it all, coached runners to their personal best and top performances at every level of the sport. We recorded this conversation in late October, and as you know, things are changing and shifting every day as we all navigate COVID times. If you like what you hear, check out the Morning on the Move podcast episodes with Brooks Beasts, Mia Akins, and Spencer Brown. And as always, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to the app, click on five stars, and share what you love. Also, 
tell your friends about the podcast, share it on your social channels, and sign up for our newsletter, The Download, to get the scoop on new episodes, digital events, and great partner offers. Now, on to the show. You're one of the top running coaches around the globe and have led multiple athletes to U.S. top five and world top 25 rankings. What were you talking to athletes about at the beginning of COVID and how did you mentally lead them through all of these challenging times and how are you motivating them now? Even as I answer that with you, it's actually a pretty, pretty closely mirrors what I said to the team. Like, I didn't know. I mean, there's no, unless we were 105 years old, we don't know what a global pandemic looks like. Right. So it, I, we, we do a lot of good things on the team, I think. And so I told them that usually when just from like, if you take a step back and you look at any sort sort of crisis, there's obviously different levels to it. But if if the weakest link in your chain is strong and you have community and you're aware of your vulnerabilities and open communication, we should be better off than if we weren't right? or other groups that might not have that. And so I told them that, we're just going to have to really work together on this because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what happens if an entire season gets canceled. You had just gotten back from the Olympic trials in Atlanta, right? Yeah, yeah. And that was tough because Ryan Vale, who is a marathoner coach, he's run, he's run 210, and he was pretty close to the shape of his life leading in. And he's a racer. When I mean when I say that is, if Ryan Vale's fit, he will race well. He's not run a bad race when he's been training well. Right. And he stepped in a pothole. The course was really messy. There's a lot of people that got hurt on potholes and stuff. And sadly he was one of them. And he, I think it was mile six. He stepped in one, his ankle was three times the size and he made it in the lead pack to mile 14. So it shows what kind of shape he's in and it shows how tough he is, but he's 34 and he's had a couple rough years. I've known him personally because I used to live in Portland for a long time. So I started coaching him last year. So that, that, like coming back from Atlanta sucked because I was like, man, like I know his wife and they were there and he like, he's just a salt of the earth kind of person. And so it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I was reeling from that. Cause like it's something he really couldn't control. And then yeah, literally that week, like that's when stuff was getting really starting to shut down. And so we had our little, like for the most of the beasts, they're mostly track based. Ryan is the only uh, like marathon based one right now. Right. And, um, yeah, so we had our like 10 day kind of break and as the 10 day break was happening, everything was unfolding. And so we met for one week and then everything shut down. And I told them too, along with the stuff I was just saying, I told them that this is just kind of one of the things that I coach off of is that their health is really important to me. And so, Mm -hmm. and, and I don't think that it's not important for other coaches who coach elites, but for me, like the example I tell them, if somebody's overtraining or doing a lot or whatever it might be on the very, we're, we're, we're extreme by nature. Like if you're a pro athlete right. in this sport, like you're going to be extreme, but there's even extreme versions of that. Mm-hmm. And so I tell them like, I, I'd like to see you running when you're in your fifties. And if you want to have a family, like I'd like to see you able to have a family and right. you just be healthy enough to do that. And I think you can really, I know you can push it to metal and to make finals and, and stuff like that in the global championships and win diamond leagues and still be, still be healthy. There are points where you're really walking that line, but I, I want them to know and to at least like have the power to decide to walk that line. 
they're like, okay, I'm going to like hit my, dip my toes in a danger red zone here right. for six weeks. And this is the, this is the meat of the season. So when the pandemic hit, I mean, one of the things, and I still say this now, and as I come from a science background, and so the, the benefit of that is I have, I have friends that are smart and right. they are in fields of epidemiology and CDC and, and all that. And so like the one thing that they can kind of agree on is we don't still don't know. And there's been a couple studies that have showed long-term effects of COVID for young people. There's athletes and have inflammation and fluid buildup in their lungs and their heart tissue could be inflamed. And so COVID probably won't, and this is going to sound extreme, but it probably won't kill one of the people on the team. I still don't want them to get it. And that's not even, that's from a total selfish, cynical standpoint where we'll also, we don't want to pass it to somebody who's not super freak elite healthy. Cause that's, right. I think, a, a, just a social responsibility, but I don't want them getting it because I don't want this being something that lasts six months or three months even right. or a lifetime. Well, there we were know. a lot of like serious athletes that, I mean, I don't know any of their names, of course, cause now I'm saying that there were, but I mean, I just heard about a lot of triathletes in the community that they weren't professional, but they still got sick and it was really hard to recover. And I have actually have a friend who's a cyclist who. He also has like a creative agency and he's pretty hardcore and he got crushed. So, I mean, I think what your perspective and your thoughts and philosophy are right on because I think, you know, you have to be really careful. You just don't know. Yeah, we don't know. And in the team, and that's, that was a big thing that I told them. And the other part of it is that it's that old cliche that principles are only meaningful when they're inconvenient. And one of our principles is that we're supposed to be like these kind of models for health and wellness in the mm-hmm. community. Yeah, because not everybody is uh, an elite fraction of a percent athlete. So like for a normal person, I mean, even for me, like I was a terrible basketball player, but Michael Jordan was a big deal to me. And and so for them, you know, one of the things we do at, at Brooks is like we have to be in, in leaders in that area. And that's where I mean from like just the community standpoint, you know, we shut down before the governor shut us down. Right. Because I just... I didn't want people seeing a Brooks jersey out there meeting together and just happy-go-lucky and not knowing the outcome, potentially spreading it and, and those things. And so we've tried to been pretty, but, you know, so that, that's the approach that we took. We still take it, but, you know, try to be balanced with it. And so, um, like, for example, we're at a team camp right now in um, Suncadia, which is just like 90 minutes east of Seattle mm-hmm. in the mountains. And we're, we, after this, after this call with you like we have our team meeting and so we're going to be indoors together and they got they got tests all before they came up so it's not like we're we're still meeting we're just trying to be really smart about it in terms of like trying to i wish that track was as organized as the nba as we can create a bubble but we're trying to do that as much as we can and and that's that's tough because even on friday they had a get together and there were some people not on the team at the get together that i you know i was like you guys can't do that like, I know it sucked. Yeah, it sucked. I've stopped going to my jujitsu gym. They started opening back up because I'm not going to be going in there and be like, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Like, I can't ask people I don't know. I'm not going to tell the owner of the gym to lock everything down for the sake of my benefit. But like, yeah, I'm not going. I have like a little caller quarantine fight club in my garage. Right. And it's just a couple couple guys. And I know yeah, them well. Yeah, because jujitsu, be you're of, like very close. Oh, yeah. It doesn't get any closer than that. Yeah. yeah. We might as well be like an intimate relationship. Yeah, totally. Well, so how did you get into jujitsu? <laughs> You'll probably appreciate this more than most because of your background. So in 2016, like, so I've, 
I've done other sports when I was a kid, baseball and stuff. And but basically from freshman year, high school on, like I just got obsessed with track and field and cross country. And so that's, you know, you fast, so it's all high school, all college, after college. And then, uh, yeah, then I was like, at that point in 2016, I was like four years into the job. Mm-hmm. And so I'm running in my leisure time and then I'm working and running and then I'm talking about running and it was just a lot. I was working probably 70, 80 hours a week for about four years and then just totally immersed in track. And so, and, and my, my mental health, like really suffer. Like I've never, uh, I actually haven't talked about this, like publicly, not that I don't or wouldn't, cause I think it's really important, but I've had zero symptoms of anxiety or panic my entire life. And so at 35, I started to really like have as the serious, severest problems as you can imagine. Like I've read some, there was an article in the Player Tribune about uh, one of the Seahawks that was like drove his car to the edge of a cliff and was suicidal. And like, I know exactly what he's talking about. And, and so that was really scary, especially if you've never had that. And so I was kind of grabbing for anything I could. Mm -hmm. And my first thought was, well, maybe I just get myself out of track a little bit. And so my my dad is a state champ wrestler. If you, I don't know if you follow, if anybody who listens follows like wrestling, the middle of the U.S. is like this hotbed in the world for wrestlers. So my dad was like, that's legit. If you can win a state title and be a state wrestler and stuff. Though, so, yeah, so we used to watch like when I was growing up, like we had that little cheater black box where you could like steal pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. And, I remember that. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I remember like sitting, it's like a movie, like sitting in my cousin's backyard <laughs> and outside of Chicago and like watching the first UFC. That was 1993. And so if you watch those old videos, so they had no weight classes, barely any rules. And it was like this tournament over two days. So you would have to fight like five or six times. And the guy that won the first four years of that was this guy, Horace Gracie, who was 5'10", 170, and he was a jiu-jitsu guy. Okay. And so I just kind of knew about jiu-jitsu from that. Like, I was like, I don't know how this guy is beating, like, these massive, scary people. Like, he's beating them up. He's winning. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to do something, like, not that I ever plan on getting into a fight, but I'd I'd like to be able to know how to handle myself. And so, yeah, I just got really lucky in a sense there's a really good jujitsu gym, like literally two blocks from my house. So I walked in and like started a new sport at 35. And because it's like really hard and it's a very cerebral thing, it was great from the mental standpoint because I don't think about work or anything that's going on when I'm fighting with somebody because I'm trying to figure out like this kind of puzzle. My heart rate's high. You know, I'm trying to figure out how like to strangle them or break their arm or whatever it is. You went from track and running to jujitsu, which is like really different, but I know I'm sure super there are different. some similarities in uh, mindset. Yeah, that's a, I just walked into the gym and it was super intimidating. And I think the athletic part from track was, and this is kind of why I like really vibe with the jujitsu community. And even like Muay Thai would be probably the other martial art that I really like kind of connect with from the track is endurance sports are really big on delayed gratification, like super humbling. You get your butt kicked in a race and it takes a long time to get better at it. And, um, yeah, so I got crushed. Like I didn't tap somebody for six months and I was trying to keep tallies of like how many times I like lost. It was somewhere in like the, almost like close to 300 times, but you must've been beaten up like big time. So beat up. Like I I couldn't like, 
hold a spoon to eat breakfast the next morning for a while like I couldn't take a deep breath but I, the problem is I probably went a little too hard into it because like that's I don't want to like not so because you can start at like Anthony Bourdain started when he was like 60 right. so you can kind of go at your own pace which is also pretty appealing because I saw older you know moms and dads in there and I was like this is cool you can kind of it's kind of like running you can do your own pace a little bit and mm-hmm. if you want to go hard you can go hard and so and it's really complex psychologically like it's super it's the most vast martial art out there because it, it's it encompasses so much and so yeah like I just got really into it I still run quite a bit but if I had the cho- like if you could give me the choice today uh, I would have rather like done jiu-jitsu well um, was it just that like so- track just became almost like monotonous for you as a runner like you were just because you said you were like working like 70 hours a week, which you have a master's degree in biomechanics and exercise physiology from Colorado State, which you got in 2006. And I know that you were working in that field as well before you were coaching track athletes, right? What were you doing? I worked at Nike in their sports research lab. And I worked in Adidas in like their science innovation area with athletes. And on the side, I was I was coaching and working in track, you know, for about eight years before I got the job at Brooks. So yeah, I was just in it a lot. And, and yeah. I'm like competitive enough. And so I was getting slower at running because I didn't have the time to put into it. Mm-hmm. But the other thing, like, it wasn't like the monotonous of, of running is kind of in some ways still like the beautiful part that I like about it. It was really more of a mental thing. Like I, when I'm running, I can think about other things, which is good or bad. I think like knowing how my brain is a little bit after dealing with everything, yoga and meditation is very tough for me. Like my mm-hmm. brain gets very loud. And so uh, I remember reading that, again, that player's tribune, I can't remember his name, but he talked about his brain being on fire. And I was like, I know exactly how that is. Like you literally want to cut your brain out of your head. It just is like hurting. Mm-hmm. And so with jujitsu, I, my brain doesn't have the time to, to like go somewhere else. Right. Cause you have to be so dialed in. Yeah, I'm like, this is it. I'm in the moment. And like, I'm not forcing myself to be in the moment. I'm in the moment. And, and I'm getting better at something, which is fun, because I wanted to take a new challenge, too. So, uh, so it's kind of like, it it kind of like, scratched the itch of like, competitiveness, trying to get a little better at something each day, whatever that is, both those, and then from a mental standpoint, it like took me to this place of like creating space in my mind. And I started to be a little bit better coach after that. You were training and you had qualified for the Olympic trials marathon personally before you were coaching yeah. or while you were coaching. No, this is when I was in grad school. Okay. I did, yeah. I read a tail end of it. I literally defended my thesis two weeks before the U S championships. And then I was going to Colorado state for grad school, which a little shout out to them. Like that was a single hand, like career wise, the best decision I've made was going to grad school there. And then I was training on my own and like never had run a race over a 5k. And so I just showed up and it was like one of the few times in my life things went better than I would have thought in a race. And so I qualified for the trials, placed 10th in the US champs. And then I went to the Hansons for a little bit and ran professionally with them. When I was working at Nike, I still tried to like keep it up at a high level. The problem me and I didn't know this until later was like I, I needed to do a little bit more like preventative work with like a PT and, and a massage therapist I just didn't I wasn't I was kind of broke also and I kept getting hurt like right at the end of training segments because I was in better shape two times after I had run the trial standard like I was probably in like 216 shape uh, 215 shape a couple times I just couldn't I just something would get hurt so I wish I had that knowledge that I have now like uh, right, like hindsight ago. is twenty twenty. 
right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's really true. I'm like more healthy yeah. now, which is ridiculous. I shouldn't be more healthy now. I'm older. Well, and, I think uh, it's like, I'm... it's interesting because I feel like, you know, when you're young, er, because <laughs> we're young, but when you're younger, like you don't have the wherewithal to have that kind of ability to step back and look at yourself and say, you know, I'm going really hard. And if I could just learn how to recover or do PT or take it back a little bit so that I have the longevity or the ability to stay in the sport longer or stay healthy or whatever it is, that is the difference between it's one of the differences, right, between being young and older. And then when you're older, you're like, damn, I wish I was still as fit as I was when I was younger. But now at least you have the wisdom. So I don't know, there has to be a happy medium. I totally agree with you. And it's interesting from the chair I'm in now, because when I talk to some people about like, what makes this, this athlete like really good that you're working with? And they usually expect like, oh, they're, they're vertical. They can jump. They're really explosive, ballistic, or their VO2 max is in the, is 80. Yeah, those are there. But the one thing that's interesting is like, I have a, someone who's tw just turned 23. If yeah. you talked to him, you would think you're talking to a 35 year old. Wow. Like he, his ab ability to scaffold and like kind of take in information. So part of me is like, yeah, I, I wish I had that knowledge, but I was like, I'm just not that smart. Like, I just wish I was like, listened better. Maybe had a little bit, maybe I had a coach that was really good. You know, that combination, some of that stuff's out of your control. Some of it's in your control, but right. yeah, I wish I had that knowledge. Like, well now you are that 30. coach because, I mean, you're coaching all these young athletes who some of which are just out of college. Yeah, we have a good blend. Uh, we actually took the color-coded personality test yesterday for four hours. We did mm -hmm. that with the team. And so we have a very – I need to text my boss and, like, say, look, we have a perfect blend. We have, like, four greens, four reds, three yellows, three blues. And so – but the age spread is, like – 22 to 35 okay on the team yeah cool so how were you able to to virtually coach everyone like while you've been like not all together over um, these past few months yeah that's been hard uh i don't like it I, I couldn't go to doha last year for worlds and we had three people make the world team mm -hmm. and that was actually i was really nervous about that because like i have a little bit of a control person and so mm -hmm. i was like oh shit i'm not gonna be there like this is, this is the biggest meet of the year and all three of them ran super well. And so, but that was two weeks virtually. And like technology is amazing because you can really bridge the gap with things. Like if somebody wants to go somewhere or that happens where I can't travel this big meet, like I had a couple coaching friends that were the UK. So Josh Kerr runs for the United Kingdom. And so they have each country has a federation coach. And so like the U S USA track and field, that's the US Federation. And so I knew and they they each country has to send coaches to the with their that and they're not like the athletes coaches, like I'm Josh's coach and Brandon's coach and Allie's coach. Mm -hmm. But I knew I knew the Federation coach as well. And with technology it was great. Like it was like I was there. I mean it was now I wouldn't want to do that for five months like I did during the pandemic, but for two weeks it was great. And so it, the problem that like we had virtually was it was this combination of like, not only could I not meet with them, they couldn't meet with each other. They could run by themselves and then they're locked down. And so we're social animals. And, you know, so I'm working with somebody remotely that is like border getting borderline, you know, having least depressive cues like that were coming up. And so what would I do differently is probably a better question. I think like, I think we would do regular team meetings, but those that were getting old too, like you do enough 
of those Zoom meetings with uh, 15 screens. You know, it's so I, it, it changed over the course of like the f- the five months. Like initially, we did the Zoom meetings. Then I was like, you know, I'm just going to give them space because I don't want to be riding. Like they're actually, this is kind of nice. Like let's let them get the little bit of work done. They need to get mm-hmm. done when they want to get it done. They'll call on me if they need me to. And then later the end, if they popped in my mind, they just text. So very like relaxed. Right. But I, I really am blessed. And I mean that like this, this team the last two years going on year three, they're super fun to work with, like top to bottom, all of them. And so, you know, genuinely, I do like them. Like I could have dinner with any one of them individually or as a group and it's enjoyable. It's fun. So they popped up. I do that. And then or I'd run with one of them or whatever, you know, whatever kind of connection we can make a little bit. Right. So just those touch points were, were key. The, the hardest one was Marta Fridas. And so she went home after the Atlanta Olympic trials after the indoor season and then got stuck in Portugal. Oh, my God. So she literally just got back on last Wednesday. Right. So I haven't seen Marta since then. That was tough because she was in really good shape. And so, yeah, I mean, technology is like, it's, I mean, if you've watched the social dilemma, like it's bad, but I think. Right. My thoughts on the social dilemma are like, uh, yeah, I knew that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know who is watching this for the first time and being like, oh my God. The thing that got me on there was, the biggest thing was like, they know how long you're on a post for. Yeah. I didn't know that. This is like, (laughs) you know, like when you, we are living big brother AI and even our watches, like for the Garmin or um, Apple watches, like, you know, I've just been talking to a lot of people who work on the digital side of things and how, you know, your watches can tell you, you know, what, the next workout should be like, they're going to start giving you recommendations. I mean, I'm not, I'm not surprised, but I think it's crazy, but you know, I'd like to get things that I like. So if if I'm going to be, you know, in this like (laughs) big brother bubble, at least please send me things that I actually like, (laughs) but yeah, yeah, no, but the social dilemma was nuts. I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's really, really crazy, but, um, yeah. 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 But the, you know, that's some of the negatives of it, but like, with Garmin, if you um, you put the, the the heart rate strap, the watch, I I'm friends with them on our connection with them on the Garmin app. Yeah, you have that combined with FaceTime and a phone. Like I can see quite a bit. Yeah, I mean you, know? you can like see could, where they're running. You can talk to them. Yeah, yeah. that's you can great. The gap. Yes. Yeah, it does. There are a lot of really positive components, especially in these COVID times where we can't all be together all the time. And I think. I personally noticed that I was like less motivated to work out. And I know that, you know, as a pro though, like if that was my job, like I would just be really focused on doing whatever I could do to keep my fitness up. But when you talk about training, right. And periodization and keeping your fitness up, like it was a little confusing, right? Because we didn't, we don't know. We didn't know at that time, like when the next race was going to be and as a coach, like, how did you not knowing also like guide your athletes into like safe training and maintaining their fitness, but being ready for like, what's next? So like one of the things that's interesting this year was our injury rate was, uh, six times higher than it normally has ever been. Mm -hmm. 
And the only time we, so we've been around eight years, 2016 was, we, we had some different things that we did that caused us some injuries. But other than that, like usually the week, on average, we have only, we've only, thank God, we've only had one athlete hurt the week of U.S. championships. That's our right. average, one, one out of 13. That's really low. This year, if the U.S. championships have happened, we had like six people that were on the fr- fridge uh, of getting hurt. And I backed down training quite a bit knowing that like stress levels would be high and there's been there was a study done on rats like 15 years ago that looked at that looked at isolating them in their cage Mm -hmm. and had that had some that were together and they would exercise and control food the same and cortisol levels and stress hormones were way higher in the rats that were isolated and we are more social than rats and so i have to think that like that stress component compared with of being just isolated pair that with losing the the championships olympics um pair that with the political um issues that are going on and then the social uh, protests that are going on like there was a lot and there's a lot of stress yeah a lot of stress and so when we talked about like i mean just again like communicating and being really open about like this is something that you, you like could be dealing with and we had a few athletes it hit them hard yeah and I saw that in them. Like the, if I meet them the run, they could, they just looked like not themselves. They didn't look their healthy selves. And so trying to really uh, work around that. And, and I think what I tried to do um, was work on some of the holes. And so, you know, some, some athletes started seeing therapists regularly and mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have got them to do that if this was a normal year. And okay. I think that like to some degree, all of them probably should. Right just because they are pushing themselves to the max and they see a physical therapist regularly. We have one on staff. And so, you know, the mental side is, is super critical. And I think it's, it, I, well, I know that it's very underutilized in today's day. It's getting better, but it's still, it's still bad. And so there were some opportunities there. And then from like a, a physical standpoint, like there was, we had some athletes that like, Hey, let's try some different workouts. That's like, make it exciting. And I was like, I've never done this workout with an athlete. We're going to try it how did it go? What'd you think? Like, and so it was a little bit of like fun with that where, right. You know, I'm just telling them like, I don't know how this workout's going to go. This one seems weird. We're going to try it though. Okay. That's cool. We're, we're doing different things and they knew that they were different workouts. And so they were really involved with that process and trying to own it and knowing that eventually the world will be more normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if some of these workouts we need to keep, let's keep them. Let's get rid of the ones that we don't like. And so, cause I, I constantly want to evolve too. Right. And so, and then there was some that had weaknesses, like it's something with volume, like making sure like, Hey, let's see how many 70 mile weeks you can run back to back to back and see how you feel off of that. Where we have a nutritionist on staff. So some of them were working with a nutritionist. Yeah. What I kept telling them is like, this will pay off the stuff that we're doing now. that seems mundane when we're in the meat of it and it's, it's chaotic and we're trying to get ready for big championships and we're traveling. We, we can look back on this year and be like, okay, we learned some stuff. And then I tried to learn a lot too. I spent time reading studies, which I haven't done in a long time, uh, just because work gets so crazy, reading books about team dynamics. Like, so that's where it was. What book did, did you read a good book on team dynamics? Like anything you'd recommend? So we did it together. The one that comes, it's kind of like you said, like, oh, there's some athletes that dealt with, I can't remember them. Like now I can't remember the books. But one that I read was uh, The yeah. Boys in the Boat. Okay. That's like one I think a lot of people have read. That was a really cool book. I like that a lot. How are you getting the team back in shape from this nebulous zone of COVID to like, okay, we're going to start training again for the Olympics and 
it's next summer and this is what we need to start doing. I'm in the middle of answering that question right now. If you asked me in a month, I'd have more. Mm-hmm. What I'm noticing, because we're only, we're only a week and a half into being back. And so what I've noticed, which is crazy to me, is they look better than they've ever looked in the fall. Interesting. And my thought is because we were so conservative this summer, they didn't dig a deep hole and get put in a well. And so they didn't go to the edge of the, you know, the edge with it. And so I think they're just a little bit more absorbing of the training than normal in the fall. They're like a little bit lighter than they normally would be, which you wouldn't like, we don't really, when that, when they're in off season, I'm like, to some degree, I don't care what you put in your body, like enjoy just being a young person and don't, don't care about that, you know? Right. And there's a couple, I was like, Hey, did you take your off season seriously enough? Cause you look a little too big, good shape, you know, they're like, coach, I, I don't know what it is, but I yeah. feel good. I'm happy. And we had a team dinner last night and it's, you know, because COVID restaurants are like these kind of uh, open caves. It's just you and a couple people in there. And yeah, like it was so fun. It's been coming back has been easy because people, I had two athletes yesterday tell me coach, this is so great. And all we did, all we did were in a resort in the mountains kind of by ourselves. Yeah. That's it. I think people are happy to be back together and totally. like, yeah you know, they'll do what it takes to to do that, right? So if they have to wear a mask or they have to get COVID tests or they have, I just think it's like, I'm sure I took for granted being in that kind of environment, like running with other people, training with other people. It's a really different dynamic when you're in the group. It is. One of our maxims is gratitude and they are good at it. I think this really, it, it reinforced it more. I mean, even me, like we have, the, we have this, so many hoops to deal with with COVID. And one of them is we couldn't get in a weight room for five, six months at all, right? which is bad because I'm really big into that. And so Brooks has been great. They have a weight room in the, off, in the headquarters in Seattle. So it looks like a kill zone. <laughs> like there's just like plastic bags everywhere. Everything is like kind of cut off from the rest of the world. So it's super sterilized and there's sanitizer in there everywhere. And there's these really strict protocols, like who can be in and who can't be in there. And it's just like in terms of the team and only us can be in there. And so as a result, like I'm in this like bag, plastic bag for like four hours, five oh hours, God. which I'm like this, but cause I have to kind of cycle through the athletes being in there. Right. And it hasn't crossed my mind yet. I'm like, this sucks. I need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm so glad that like I'm in here talking to them and we're getting the work done. And it's been good in that way because it's really, it's like top of mind. We're like, Hey, we are like literally we could go right back to where we were in May. So yeah, it sucks. We got to have the schedule to get into the weight, the Brooks gym, but we're in there. And, and strength training is so important. It's huge. It's huge for one of the things we do. And yeah, even little stuff like Brooks, like we, we needed some new equipment in there. And so I asked them and they're super supportive and they bought what we bought, what we needed. And the athletes like, Hey coach, thanks. Can you think, can you thank Matt and Julie for getting this like this weight vest? I was like, I wouldn't even think that they would notice that. So I think the pandemic has really put that in perspective because the other thing too, is they still have their job. So not only are we able to like meet together, like they're not unemployed. Right. And, and that's nice. Oh yeah. I mean, Brooks has supported us like really well through this. So, um, you know, I think they, they've like, some of them have friends that have, a, that are lost their jobs. A lot of them have. And actually, and so th- there's a lot of gratitude coming back into training. So that's what I mean. Like things are going we should be pretty out of shape. <laughs> and as we usually are in October, they're just absorbing things. They're like, their faces are more radiant. If you see somebody as much as I do, I know when they're not doing well, just from watching them walk into a room. And I know like on Monday, let's say I didn't see him Saturday and Sunday. 
Like I know if they had a good weekend and they just have a little bit of like positive energy or like a sun almost. And so uh, more of them are, are like that. Like our team dinner last night was just, we just got together and ate and Sarah, who's our physio that's on the team and I were like doubled over laughing. It was so like, they're just hilarious. Yeah. And so it was just like so good to be around them. Yeah. And today we were doing, they were in the parking lot of where we had our, at the trailhead and I have a measuring wheel, like every coach does, you know, like to measure out meters and speed mm-hmm. and stuff. And they had a competition for like 30 minutes on who could be like, so if they spin the wheel, like how far are they, how many rotations they can get from spinning it faster. These are like adults. <laughs> These are adults doing this. That's awesome. I mean, so. I think, like I said, I think people are just psyched to be back together and like anything is fun. It. I mean, you're a coach, right? I mean, I'm sure you've had like a perspective and a philosophy and a style of coaching. And I'm sure you've gotten some big lessons from this time that you're bringing into that and maybe like taking it to the next level. Again, we're so in it and I'm a very observing person in general. And so I'm kind of waiting for like what some of these puzzle pieces, where they fit back into place. But I think a lot of things that we do have been reinforced because and we handled it really well. And so we do some mundane things together. Yeah. Like we do the stretching routine and I went away from it a little bit in the end of 19 and we're just, we're bringing that back. Like they're doing it together. And like, I, I think that when you do the job and I'm not that long in, but I'm, I'm eight years in, that's kind of a long time. Yeah. So, that's a long time. Yeah. So you get like, I, I, I get a little complacent, I think. And so I think one of the things that this has done for me is like, kind of like bringing me back to the grassroots a little bit when I was like, I was so, when I got the job, I was like, and I still feel this way is my dream job. I'm going to do everything down to the millisecond, the millimeter, right. And things go well. And you're like, does that really matter? I don't need to do that anymore. That's fine. They're fine. They're elite athletes. They're pros. They'll do it. Like what mean? Like it's kind of re-energized that, that day one, that kind of like youthful mindset with it where all these little things and I'm going to like be on you about those little things because a, they can get taken away. B we've seen that if we don't do them because we weren't meeting at all, like you guys get hurt. Like there's no reason why we should have injuries. You can say you're training less, not traveling, not racing. We should, we should have injuries this summer. It really drives those parts home for me. And you know, if I could take, I don't know, the 5% of like the edge I lost, which I don't know if I did. I think just the edge, changed a little bit maybe got more competitive in some ways and got away from the really like grassroots foundational stuff and so kind of going back to that really foundational work and not letting anything slide on that foundational end and even though they are pros like I kind of kind of treating them like kids in a good way mm-hmm. so we're gonna do this together guys we're doing it together I'm bringing the music how did you start coaching with Brooks so I applied to 217 jobs and college college coaching jobs I didn't get any of them I only got to the second round once. So my friend gives me a hard time. He's like, your resume was sucked. I was like, that's not, that's not what it, maybe it's what it was. I don't know. Yeah. So I always wanted to coach even in, even in undergrad, my, my undergrad was double major of business and biology. So I wanted to, didn't know if I was going to be a doctor or what, or own a practice or something like that. And then, but I wanted to coach and then I was like, okay, I'll be a college professor and college coach. So I went to grad school for exercise physiology and biomechanics. And I coached there at Colorado State for the two years. And I was applying to jobs and I just couldn't get my foot in the door. It's really hard. And so 
the eight years from grad school ending till Brooks, like I worked at Nike and Adidas and had some awesome jobs in Puma. I worked at as well and, and Keen. So I had four companies there. And so, yeah, I, I coached on the side and I was like, I just kind of gave up a little bit. I was like, this is, I could just keep a passion of coaching. And then like, right, right around like 29, 28, 29 years old, I started to get some ex Nike athletes who I knew from my time there. And then, so I had like four athletes in the 2012 trials and they ran well. And because of my time at the Hansons, I knew the head of sports marketing at Brooks. And so I had like kind of multiple hats. I could do business science, kind of build something from nothing. And I had a good experience from my time at Nike and Adidas because I was around Manchester United, San Antonio Spurs, like all these really big teams. And like, I could see how teams functioned. And so the Brooks was like, we need a competitive advantage. And so we're going to start a, a track team or an endurance pace team out of the headquarters in Seattle. And I was already living on the Pacific Northwest. And so, yeah, it just started from that. When you started, what was your coaching philosophy? Is it still the same? And what is one of your tried and true philosophies around coaching? So I always want to have a point of view and that has changed. I would say Stu McMillan has been really big in that because he's like, you have to have a point of view. Even if it's wrong, you have to have one because you got to know where you're pivoting from. And so I'm more like kind of staking the ground with some like, and not, I don't mean that at all in a dictatorship because that's actually not how I coach at all. It's more of like, okay, we're going to do this and here's why we're going to do it. And then if it doesn't work, it can change. So I always have a point of view. The other thing is I try to always be athlete centered. And what I mean by that is I look, I try to look at the sport from uh, athletic and business point of view through their eyes. And the way I try to do that is like, I do the same workouts they do, even though they like, I'll like get up and do the tempo run or the hills or the weight routine or the drills just to kind of check in. I'm like, how's this feel? What's it feel to like suffer through a workout? And I'm trying to like really, and also looking through their being athlete centered first is we do a lot of team meetings where I'm asking them like, how are you doing? How's the team doing? What do we need to change? And and that's another, that kind of leads into like another point of view is I try to run things very democratically in the sense of like, we're all equal. We just have different responsibilities. And that that's actually, I, I think it's a little bit ironic that that's the toughest challenge I have when somebody's new here is like, I, I really like put a lot I'm like, oh, this is your career. I'm here to help you and serve you on that. I'm the one that drives the bus in, in a lot of the areas of what's going to happen. But like, I'm, I'm here to help you. And they're like, they don't, some of them are like, are you serious? Or they don't know what to do with that. And I, the other part I think that leads into most is, and this word's used a lot. And the way I mean it is what I say, I try to empower them is I'm very aware of the dependency. And I hate it when people say, I'm trying to make my athlete independent. Well, the reality is, is like, we are very tied together. I have skin in the game from the ability for me to put food on my table, pay my mortgage on how they do. That's a good thing. I don't think that's bad. I think that they need people around them that have skin in the game. More of that. I think there's some problems in the sport where I wish they had there were more people in the corner that had skin in the game. There's a definite dependence there. Like I have to make sure that they're prepared and have to execute on there. And so I'm, I'm aware of that. I tell them that. But what I mean empower them is like, I want them to really understand like, why they're doing what they're doing. So if I'm not there, they can make critical decisions and they, if you were to interview them, 
I would hope that they can explain exactly like why they're doing what they're doing. And so, you know, there's like a lot of educational teacher part because my first job before this was I was a teacher. And so that empowerment of like students is a very critical part of being a teacher. And so those are four fence posts that I have from a coaching standpoint. So you empower them with the education and make them feel like they could do this with you or without you. We have a very like big like, trial and effect. And so it's not trial and error. It's like, I, I just had a conversation with well, you kind of caught it before we started an interview a little bit. You might have been like, Oh, I'll see you later, Marta. And so she wants to change some stuff in the weight room. And so what I said, is like, we're going to try it. If it doesn't work, that's okay. So I don't have this manipulative tool with them. We're like, Hey, I, I want you to do this. You want it to go your way. We'll go your way. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to point a finger at you. It's like, I want to create a very safe space for us to all like mess up in order to evolve the game. You have to, you have to make mistakes. If you look at any company that like, I didn't make this idea. That's probably why you, you like it and you work with people that do that. You did this yourself. It sounds like it's like, well, there's other smart people that have done this approach and it's worked well. It's hard. You have to really like control your own ego as a coach because I do have more experience in them in the sport. I should kind of know the roadmap a little better than them, but they're also know their bodies better than I will know their body. And they are also have years of experience themselves and things change. And so, you know, there's some times where I'm just like, you know, an athlete today that was like wanting to cross train four hours a day. And I'm like, no, I, and I say no, <laughs> but I also I'm like, so I was like, well, here's why though. I want to like walk you through, and so that goes back into this empowerment and I'm glad she asked. I'm much rather she asked me and me say no, or maybe we're like, you know what, let's try it. Let's see how you do. You might be this really big outlier where you can handle that volume. She, you know, she's not, uh, I don't, you know, we're pretty confident. And so being able to make mistakes and being free to make mistakes is huge. You know, I learned that from working in innovation before and seeing teams like the Spurs, like Papa Greg Popovich talks a lot about that. And it allows me to create, which is weird, it's a little bit more discipline because they have so much flexibility with what they're doing in the sport. They know, like, I don't, okay, this is where, I, this is where the, the rules kind of are. I'm not going to go there. And, and they're really like basic rules in terms of respecting the team, respecting time, being from a growth mindset. Those are our rules. But like, if they don't break those, we, we have a lot of room to do things differently. And when I work with 12 or 13 people who are all Americans or NCAA champs, I think we have eight people on a team that have made Olympic or world teams right now. So I have a lot of smart people I work with. So why would I not include them into this process? Like, it's just me. That'd be dumb of me not to do that. I think when I look at it from like a democratic kind of equal playing field to some degree, like we come to the, when we're doing our team values for this year, which is the meeting I have after this call, I have the six that I've worked with, with my boss on that they're going to help like fine tune that the team is and and they're more bought in now and so they're really proud of that which is key because they're the ones that ultimately i think have to enforce the team reputation what's the next race it's one one step at a time i'm glad that we can meet we're going to be i told the team because we were so conservative this year and we're still going to be conservative on the standpoint of like the pandemic aspect of it mm -hmm. but more of like we're going to hit the gas in terms of like, they're going to be fit in July and August. I don't okay. care if Tokyo happens or it doesn't. Like if that means they're running amazing workouts by themselves that no one cares about other than us, then that's what we're going to do. So from like a physical, mental, we're kind of pushing towards that. 
Yeah, I think people have to set goals like that. I think I was telling you when we first got on the call that I was trying to do a century. I set different goals. Initially, it was really hard to set goals because I was just kind of like, well, I mean, what's the point? You know, like I didn't do any virtual races. I just couldn't deliver on any of the goals that I told myself I was going to do until now, until I also like hurt my ankle, right? But I was going to do a few half marathons, but I had to set a different goal. There's not going to be a race right now and I have to just set a goal and own it. So if it's just doing a century, then that's what I'm going to do. It's great to rely on like this idea of there being a race, but at the same time, you also have like this like plan B goal. That's what I yeah. think. Yeah. 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 No, I, I agree. Do you have any favorite books or advice or something like for athletes that are not professional athletes or elite athletes that are looking to stay motivated and have some skin in their own game <laughs> training? That point I made about jujitsu with like little hurdles each day that I'm getting over, that is I think one of the most important things that I, I've learned with dealing with athletes and dealing with myself. Because it's just like one or two degrees that you like the ship moves in the wrong direction that I think we all let ourselves do. And you get three weeks down the road and you're like, how did I end up here? I don't even remember. Like the wind just kind of blew me in this direction. And so I think there's kind of two ways you look at it. Like one, you set this big goal. Like you have your, your century on November 7th. For me, I have some, some goals. I'm like, okay, I'm going to compete in, in something in 2021. Either I'm doing a fight or I'm going to run a race. Two very different things, but that's the kind of the goal. But the little goals between now and then are, are key. One of them is just like when I got back to work, I'm like, I'm going to run every day. And so I'm going to do that for three weeks. And so then uh, as I get to end of next week, then I'm going to shift that goal. And maybe it's going to be I'm going to make sure I run an hour every day. And then like, it's kind of getting me in the spot where when I look back in six weeks, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm in better shape. And, and, and I also think it's like that one, I think it's Jordan Peterson, like the 12 rules of life. One of the things he says, make your bed in the morning. And so I know military does that too. And so with dealing with this is like, that's something you can control. And it's not that different than the athletes. Like we, like I said, we do this stretching routine and I was like, you guys need to go to the gym after practice because we have a gym reserved here at the resort we're at do the stretches and then go to lunch and normally i wouldn't care but i'm like i want to make sure they get that in because if they don't do it today then they might not do it on saturday because they they might not think it matters and for people that's it's such a key thing that you can control it's such a small thing that you can control and where it ends up leading you is to the bigger goals and they don't seem as monumental or monstrous to overcome or big the, one of the books I liked that we read last year as a team is called Essentialism. I thought that was a really good book because what, it talks about some ways to prioritize your life. And I thought that was just, it, it's key because even though we're in a pandemic, like, and we're not doing as much, like we're still busy. And I'm like, well, why? What the heck are we doing? And so that, that we read that last year, but I, I thought that, I think that's a good book. Sounds like an awesome book. I'll have to add it to my reading list. What Brooks do you run in? I run in The Ghost, The Brooks Ghost. Me too. And... Yeah, I love that shoe. And one one of my good friends is a developer on that shoe, mm -hmm. and uh, he he stayed with me like before we came to camp this week, and he was like giving me a, a primer on the new Hyperion Tempo, which mm -hmm. I really like the one we have now. It's the one with the blue midsole, 
and the new ghost coming out. So I'm like, oh, good. They're going to be, they're still going to be awesome. Yeah. I've been running in Brooks in ghosts as long as I've been running. Yeah. They're great. Last question. Since you are a runner and pro coach, what are some of your favorite tracks to run on and why? There's the ones that have like the sentimental value. So I went to college at Eastern Illinois University in Charleston and the state high school meet was there as well. So in high school, like that was, that was the Olympic stadium for us. And so for me to go to college, there was really cool because it's this really, it's the football stadium. So it seats like 12,000 people because it's a small division one school. So the track sits in the football stadium, which is a little unusual. So we got kind of the benefits of being at a smaller division one school. Cause you know, the big ones, the football stadium separate from the track and the tracks like this small one-off thing. So we had this really cool stadium around it and the track was nine lanes and, and like baby blue around the track. There's three miles of a cinder trail. So even that now, like I ran there two years ago, like that's probably my, my favorite track. When you're first asking the question, I was like thinking like globally and I've seen some pretty like Monaco's track is awesome. Cause it's like right on the ocean and there's castles and stuff nearby. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool one. There's a cool track in the UK, um, in Wales where we did our, our camp for the 2017 trials. It's just a little like community track in the woods it is awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Seattle has one that we just started going to and it's a uh, middle school, but it's a cinder track in the middle of the forest. We wow. just did our first workout there on Friday. So I kind of like those where, you, you have to kind of work a little bit to find them. Those are the ones that, that I like or ones that have some like really cool history. Like we did the Michigan track is cool because Jesse Owens like did some pretty big things on there. I think that's where he set like his free world records in, in a day. I remember we were there for a track meet that Nick Willis put on like five years ago. Okay. And so we were in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I saw the statue of Jesse Owens. I'm like, oh, he did this here. That's amazing. That's like, cool. This is the same. Yeah. Like where there's stuff like that, because he, you know, Jesse Owens, especially like, I think in 2020 with everything that is happening socially that should be happening, like he's, I, I hope athletes like look back on him and like do some history because he, what he had to do was amazing. Yeah. So I like, I liked it being on those. That track was cool. Yeah. yeah. There's a track in New York City that is, I mentioned it just now, the East Side track. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes run there. It's kind of like around on the other side of where I'm at. And I love running there because it's on the water. Yeah. This has been so awesome. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, anytime. This is great. I get to talk about jujitsu and like mental things. This is awesome. <laughs> Usually because they're like, well, what workouts do you have somebody do? You know, I talk about tempo runs so much, which are interesting. There's so many things that go into running a good tempo run. <laughs> so I'd like to talk about those things. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.